Good morning, and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series where we interview firm executives and thought leaders, as well as third-party industry luminaries and experts on important global business trends, topics, and leading practices. My name is Stan LaPique, and I lead global research for KPMG's Management Consulting Services Group. Today, we're going to go back to the topic of the customer experience, and we're going to be specifically talking about modern competitive commerce, which sounds like a pretty cool topic to me. So to address that, we're going to have as our master of ceremonies, once again, Mr. Duncan Avis, who's a principal in the customer practice within the U.S. organization, and he's going to be joined by several esteemed colleagues, including Sam Gagna, Robert Barrett, and Todd Cullen. So what they're going to do is walk us through exactly what does modern competitive commerce mean, why it's good for any organization, and how they should address capitalizing on this topic and these opportunities. So, Duncan, please take it away. So, thank you for joining us today, guys. Thank you, Sam, Rob, and Todd. Today, we're going to be talking about modern competitive commerce and what does that mean in the context of both connected enterprise, but also just in the general context of the industry. I wanted to start off by just talking a little bit about within connected enterprise, key theme, not just within connected enterprise as a capability, but actually with our clients on a day-to-day basis, is how do they develop these seamless commerce experiences? And how do they do that, whether that's starting online, finishing in the store, how do they make sure the goods get there in the right time, in the right place, and how do they understand which consumers they're addressing? I think the first thing to keep in mind is that when our customers talk about experiences, they need to take a long view of the experience, like you said. The first thing is the buying, the shopping experience the fulfillment experience and something that they don't consider often, which is the return experience. Mm -hmm. This is actually the entire viewpoint of how they should be looking at the world. Many a times they look at the shopping experience and they don't consider the impact on the supply chain, on fulfillment, and of course on when people return goods, for example, that they don't want to use. That is the first step that they need to acknowledge and understand. Mm -hmm. When it gets down to implementing solutions of nature, the number one thing they need to keep in mind is what motivates the customer to buy from them? What is their behavior? How do these customer behaviors impact their ability to meet this expectation? Mm -hmm. And that's an extremely important part of them really understanding the challenge that's in front of them. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they have to organize themselves to be able to meet that challenge. I think it's a pretty interesting problem and has been in the retail and CPG space for years. Every retailer, every brand of every type wants to read the mind of every customer mm-hmm. and meet that expectation yeah. in real time. And that's becoming increasingly available today. We're working with some partners and with some clients and technology platforms where we're literally able to take shopping behavior, mouse over insights around what's merchandised on a page and make some very accurate inferences about what people are shopping for. And not only what they're shopping for, but what they want to wait on to purchase later. And so the availability of real-time data and integrations with some other platforms as well in the digital space is making it increasingly possible 
to predict what a customer is actually shopping for and when they are ready to buy. So Rob, from your world, folks maybe don't always think about sort of the operational side as being a core part of the commerce and being able to get the goods in the hands of their end customers. If we think about supply chain, I mean, now more than ever, supply chain is a critical component of that overall customer experience. So it's not just about having a great product, it's mm-hmm. about having a great product with a great experience. Mm-hmm around that product, which requires a great supply chain. Mm -hmm. And if you think of supply chains, historically were designed for extremely high volume, maximum efficiency, and in most cases, pushing product through mass market or big retail. And that's all changed dramatically over Mm -hmm. the last five to seven years where we have more channels than ever before, more personalization than ever before. Customer demands are higher than ever in terms of how they get the product, how they receive the product, how they return the product, and that all has a direct impact on your supply chain. So I know, Rob, you work with both CPG clients as well as retailers. How do you see them trying to maybe work more closely together, or or not as the case may be, to try and solve some of these challenges? Because they both play a role in that supply chain, right? It's all about removing the information latency between the parties, working off a common set of information, trusting one another. It makes no sense for the retailer to be doing statistical forecasting on point of sale and trends in the marketplace and then having the CPG company doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So we see a variety of retailer CPG companies working together on single forecast programs or direct shelf replenishment models where they actually connect what's happening at the shelf all the way back into the manufacturing process taking out as much inefficiency as possible so that it can be as responsive as possible to actual customer needs. We've talked about seamless commerce, and people think about commerce in that sense sometimes just as dot-com or e-commerce. But this idea of making it very easy to transact with a consumer and then getting the goods into the doors as well as just the e-commerce side... How are you seeing organizations starting to think about how they make the commerce experience, let's call it, within the store as well, more simple, given their different payment methods and different ways of thinking about that? Yeah, so there's a notion of straight-through commerce processing when you're dealing with, not in the movement of goods, movement of money as well, Mm -hmm. the payment process. I like to think about it as broken down into two levels. There's a part of it that deals with business model innovation on the front end where people are going through and saying, not only do we want a digital channel that sort of works with our brick and mortar channel, for Mm -hmm. example, but we also want to introduce new ways of transacting business, whether it's a subscription-based model, where you you can be a lot more effective at predicting and forecasting your demand. But that actually throws off not only the supply chain, but also how you're going to be able to fulfill from the store, for example, Mm -hmm. whether you're going to provide direct dropship or you're going to provide ability for people to come and pick up from store, or you're going to do store delivery. These have to absolutely connect from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing is that organizations that have already gotten to this, let's say even second generation, haven't quite figured out how these two main channels kind of coexist. Mm -hmm. And that's a massive challenge that they have to face. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you have to be able to do it profitably. It's amazing to me how many companies don't understand their true cost to serve to support Mm -hmm. different e-commerce fulfillment strategies versus their traditional Mm -hmm. retail-based manufacturing Mm -hmm. strategy. So if you don't understand your cost to serve, you don't understand what volumes you need to hit to actually profitably deliver something vis-a-vis e-commerce. 
I know, Rob, you've worked with some organisations where they've taken this customer-first view and they've said, well, we want to be able to offer everything to every customer, so we're going to mean that you can pick up in store, return to store, return direct, pick up direct, and so on. And now they're realising that they're not making money, money. on that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any thoughts on how you try and get around some of those? Because I don't think it's an option just to ignore what the customer wants. But how do you do it in a profitable way? And a big part of the connected enterprise story is managing value. One of the things that I'm seeing clients asking for more often is even supply chain clients and product development and innovation and store development, they're asking for lifetime value of mm-hmm. the customer mm-hmm. metrics, yep. which I've never seen before outside of marketing and advertising mm-hmm. and customer engagement. I've never seen a client ask for those kinds of metrics that far back in the value chain, which tells me that this is happening in the marketplace, particularly in retail and CPG, this sort of breaking down of all the silos from Mm -hmm. the front office all the way back to the back office. I think that's amazing. And one comment I want to pull both from what you said, Rob, and what you said, Todd, is that our customers, let's call them non-digital born customers, are facing competition and disruption from digital born customers who don't have the kind of financial constraints where they have to worry about, hey, what is my cost to serve? Because they can, to a certain extent, show that they have increased the customer base, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they've taken some losses. Mm-hmm. Our brick and mortar customers don't have that luxury because they have the scrutiny of shareholders. Yeah. Right. And as a result, it behooves them to really think through what is the economic contribution of a customer, whether it's customer lifetime value, whether it's cost to serve, you've got to put all that together mm-hmm. and basically say, this is the economic contribution from my wholesalers, from my individual customers, so that now you can sort of look at that holistically and say, this is where I want to focus my business. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of customer I want, and this is the That's customer right. I want to work with. And if you do it right, <laughs> you'll know what's that cost to serve. But today, with the appropriate amount of analytics, cost-related information, financial information, understanding the customer and the customer demographics, you absolutely can figure mm-hmm. out what your cost of service to make more informed decisions about how you're gonna fulfill, how you're gonna profitably fulfill, and profitably manufacture. Does it make sense to manufacture single skew eaches in frustration-free packaging ready to go for e-com? Mm-hmm. Right? What's the volume I need to do through mm-hmm. certain e-com channels to make that profitable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should be able to answer those questions before you embark on that kind of journey as a business. A core sort of belief set around connected enterprise was this idea about balancing the experience you deliver with the cost and the affordability and trying to hit that sweet spot. So this idea of actually really trying to hit that sweet spot where you say, I'm going to deliver the right level of experience in a profitable way is both core to Connected Enterprise, but also core to our beliefs of any organization that needs to be successful in the 21st century, given the changing demands of the customers. And I think final thought on that is, with the Connected thought, was around, obviously, capabilities. And I think Mm -hmm. if you have capability-based models versus organizational silos, it's a little bit easier to break down some of those financial metrics, those aren't organizational heads, they're capabilities. Where does marketing finish? Where does commerce start? Mm -hmm. How do you think about costs? How do you think about driving demand into a commerce vehicle that may be store, it may be e-commerce, it may be a combination of the two, it may be mobile, whatever. So how are you seeing them thinking through these challenges? What I'm seeing clients really struggle with is how to invest 
not only at the channel level, but all the way back through to even things like data architecture at the mm -hmm. enterprise level. So they're starting to make investment decisions now based not just on what's the cost to acquire on the front end or how do we drive traffic, but where do we drive traffic and how much traffic do we drive to this channel or that channel based on the likelihood that those segments of customers will transact in those channels. But also, it's the cost of actually driving that traffic and vice versa. Marketing departments are now starting to ask supply chain departments for greater access to data in real time. These walls that have always existed between departments, particularly the ones that we're talking about here, IT, supply chain, yep. procurement, marketing, mm -hmm. Those are really starting to dissolve as clients are starting to think about what is the economic value here holistically. How do you see them starting to make that journey? What's the first thing they're starting to think about? Where are they starting to place their first bets? And then maybe how are they think about governing this? Most of the gaps, and we're seeing this to almost universal degree, exist in talent management. Mm. It exists in people understanding, one, how should they be thinking about their leaders? What does the next generation of leaders look like who normally and sort of naturally think this way? And how is your workforce going to change? How is your operating model going to change? Today, you're expecting your workforce to be focused on job security. What we're seeing is the workforce of the future is going to be focused on income security. Mm -hmm. They're going to be more focused on the fact that they will have multiple jobs and they've got multiple income streams coming in. Mm -hmm. That's a very different way of looking at your largest part of your entire yeah, enterprise, talent pool, yeah, yeah. talent pool, et cetera. So we think that that's where the gaps start from. Technology enablement is always going to follow. Innovation is going to be at the heart of that. Breaking down silos will be a natural progression of that. Mm -hmm. But you've got to think about how are you going to look at this from changing the mindset, bringing the right leadership in, and bringing the right workforce or morphing the workforce as your challenges evolve. Right. It's all about creating a service-oriented approach. Mm -hmm. So what kind of business do you anticipate you're going to be in in the future? Mm -hmm. What percentage likelihood would you put on that? And then how do you decompose those different business models into the core capabilities you would need to support that model if and should it happen? You make a great point about this sort of service-oriented world. In technology, this idea of, sort of service objects and service-oriented yep. has been around for a long time. So it kind of decomposes the core network from the, the application and service level. So you really are taking something that's philosophically been tested before that's right. and just putting it into a business model use case and reapplying it. And then I think to your point, you know, a lot of clients say, well, you know, I love this idea of this capability-based model, but how do I execute? And I think, mm -hmm. you know, your idea is it's almost the governance is given by service orientation yeah. versus by organizational lines or, mm -hmm. or brands or products. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the governance issue is an interesting one. There's a tension, it's a natural tension with every major brand to want to be very nimble and to try things and yeah. to get started, just to do something. Mm -hmm. um, and on the other side, let's be very careful. We've got to make sure that everything is in a governance structure from data to operations to people to product management and the whole supply chain. It's interesting hearing you, all three of you talk. It does feel like a starting point is the data. And you talked about really understanding the cost to serve. You know, you've talked about understanding the customers. Mm -hmm. And I think we're always surprised sometimes when we talk to our clients about sometimes how much they don't know about their operating model. Like, what is the cost to operate? What is the cost to serve? Mm -hmm. What is 
our underlying performance of the engine, mm -hmm. not just the outside measures, yeah. right? not just customer satisfaction, not just revenue, not the output yeah. measures, right. but kind of the operating input models. So yeah. thank you for the day. I think this has been a great discussion, great insights. I appreciate it and look forward to talking to you about this again. So great insights there from Duncan, Sam, Robert, and Todd. For the listeners out there, certainly check out on the Advice Worth Keeping site some of the other links to additional materials we have available on this topic. And from that, you can also reach out directly if you want to contact any of the participants in this podcast. And again, please recognize this is an ongoing series of podcasts that we're doing around customer experience and best practices and keeping your customers happy. So certainly check out some of the other podcasts that Duncan and his team has done. Thank you for joining today. Check out the links, and we'll have you back here soon. And you can find the links to the items we referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash us slash podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation.